Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, in case you didn't know, May 29th, 2022. Our sermon is entitled, Maximizing Your Manhood. Say that with me. Say, Maximizing Your Manhood. Maximizing Your Manhood. Unlike many of the commercials in the early 2000s featuring a man named Bob smiling as he advertised natural male enhancement, we have something that'll draw it back to memory. See, our King's Male Enhancement Program actually works. Today, we're going to be engaging in the powerful pathway to holistic man of God, being men of God, and under no circumstances are we going to settle for anything less or shorter than the maximized manhood of Christ in this house. Are you with us today, church? Yeah. Come on, are you really with us today? Saints, there is no honest man, whether in this room or walking out on the street, that really desires a V6 instead of a V8. He may have had practical reasons that talked him into getting the V6, but it was the V8 that he wanted. Saints, we're being a bit humorous this morning on purpose. Our God is speaking to us about a journey that we're on and conflict that is imminent. At the same time, He's building us into the men that we are called to be. I'm looking at a family that I deeply adore, that has callings all the way around this room, and you have grown dramatically over the previous years. And our God is on a building program. He is determined to maximize you to the fullest extent. Where we'd like to begin is Isaiah 40, verse 10 with you this morning. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, not a V6. And he rules with a mighty army. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Saints, we are growing in our awareness. We are beginning to grasp what it looks like to see God's dominion, his ownership, his rulership, his lordship displayed over the earth. See, he comes with power. He comes and he rules with his mighty arm because the earth is his. And he begins to dole out reward and recompense with impunity according to his own righteous standard. Saints, you were called to represent such a God. This is our God. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords and he is coming back for you. In the meantime, we take our stand and we represent him as Lords of the earth. Now, as you know, we are being taken on a journey that is intended to gain a greater understanding of the ideal man, the biblical man, what holy masculinity actually looks like, what it looks like to fully maximize your manhood and become a biblically adherent male. Come on, that is exactly what God is building in this house, or biblically adherent males, ones with no excuses. Say no excuses. No excuses. Say no apologies. No apologies. And we don't need permission from anyone other than the Lord and what he's doing in our life that we might step up, that we might stand up and actually walk in the authority that God has given to us. 
See, we, we remember from Thursday night that 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 says, We, however, will not be, boast beyond our proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. You have a dominion. You have a domain that God has assigned to you. And we are going to walk in all the boldness, all the authority, all the ownership and lordship that God has actually placed upon us and within us. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Pastor Wade is a man. A man of God. If I was going to share a passage with you inspired by Pastor Wade... It would be Psalm 16, picking up in verse 5. Amen. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Oh, Say yeah, pleasant they have. places. Pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Our boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Church, where your boundary lines have fallen is your dominion. Come on. That which you must take ownership and lordship over. You are freed from, by this revelation on Thursday when Pastors Judah and Pastor Nick shared with you. You learned that you have your own dominion given to you by God. Your own responsibilities ordained by God. Now, you don't have to waste your time trying to take lordship where it has not been given to you. And you don't have to waste your time constantly wanting dominion that someone else has. Because God has given you your very own. It is yours. And today, we are going to take lordship to maximize our manhood. Saints, do you guys remember that when you take lordship, when you take ownership of something, you begin to love that something? Yeah. Yes. Saints, we want to tell you this morning that we believe God loves this church, yeah. that he is Lord of this church, and that same God has grown in his affection and desire for you to be maximized in your manhood Amen. to the full potential. Yeah. We have a familiar slide for you. This is our five linear steps. Somebody say, it's a progression. It's a progression. And it's connected. And it's connected. On Sunday... Pastors Wade and Peyton walked us through all five categories. They helped us to begin to understand the way in which these five things must be present in every man at all times. And that it begins in a progression with dominion that as your love for what is yours moves you to cultivating it. Saints, this morning we are going to be on the subject of cultivation. I want to warn you in advance when you see a familiar slide, you've heard the word cultivation in this church many times. If you didn't catch the hint with our intro, this will not be a standardized cultivation method. Yeah. You need to not expect that we are going to repeat the same 45 things that we've taught you over the last six months. We wouldn't be up here if we didn't have something new for you in cultivation. So as we begin, we want you to understand our aim today is the same aim as that of God. Our owner, our Lord, the one who has dominion over this church to see you reach your full potential, to see you maximized in your manhood 
and for you to learn to reflect your heavenly father who can take what has been given to him and make it magnificent. That is your calling. That is your destiny. And that is what he will make you into. So let's revisit Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Come on, that's he dominion. tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Church, our God is a God of cultivation. Yeah. He tends his flock. Literally, he shepherds his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into his arms, the young into his arms, and carries them close to his heart. We have a slide for you talking about that word for lead. Church, it's amazing that once you start seeing a truth in the word, you start being able to see it everywhere. This idea that dominion precedes, that it is the first step that will lead you into cultivation. That's what Isaiah 40 is doing. He's saying that our God is a God of power, of lordship, and he also begins to immediately shepherd and cultivate them. When it says that he gently leads those that have young, this is the word in the Hebrew. It's nahal. It means to lead, for sure. It means to guide. It means to move them along. Like on a cattle drive, you got to move that livestock along. You've got to be able to move them at a pace that gets them to the next safe spot, that gets them to the next drinking where they can drink from the living waters. You've got to be able to manage this and put them at just the right pace. That's probably more than what they want to go, but not as much as you might need them to go. It's a perfect pacing of what is needed in this. See, God's cultivation. Everybody say God's cultivation. God's cultivation. God's cultivation method is by a definitive and definite process of creating movement. That is what cultivation does, is it creates movement. Not aimless movement, not like a 1 Corinthians 9, 26, like a man that's running aimlessly. Rather, this is a patient, cultivated movement that's aiming towards an end goal, the destination, the full potential of what the flock is. Let me put it another way for you. It is the full potential or the maximized yeah. version of what God loves and what he is shepherding. Now, we're going to take just a few minutes here to get a flavor of God's cultivation methods as it is seen throughout the Tanakh. Do you want to know how God cultivates? Somebody in this house want to reflect God Almighty? Do you want to bear God's glory? Then we must begin by understanding how he cultivates to be able to bear his glory. Saints, as much as we've preached and taught on this, We have not fully understood how God makes things grow. But you, as men of God, anointed in your homes, anointed in your workplace, anointed in a world that is purposefully getting darker, you are going to learn how to make things supernaturally grow today. Are you excited about that? Yeah. Exodus 15, verse 12 is where we're going to begin in God's cultivation method. You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Man, I love this passage. It's my favorite passage to point back to when somebody tells me that the God of the Older Testament is not the same God of the Newer Testament. He is speaking about his people, saying in my fickle love, 
in my maybe love, in my unfailing love, I will lead. Saints, the word lead here is the same as the previous passage. That's not going to be the case in every passage that we go to, but it's worth pointing out. I will move along my flock to where they need to go because I have redeemed them. They are mine. I am Lord over them and I love them. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Saints, our God is a tender and loving father. Hebrews 3, 13 verse 8 says, He is the same yesterday and today forever. This is the character of our God from the opening of the Torah all the way to the close of Revelation. This is immutable, unchanging, unmoving character. I want you to consider the context of this verse. We've just heard that he's unfailing, that he is loving, that he will move them along, and that he has redeemed them. Consider the maximizing recipe that Yahweh has used to bring his people to this point and is using to bring them to their full potential. These people that he loves, he caused them to go into slavery. These people that he loves, he let them be oppressed inside of that slavery. These people that he loves... He let their adversary pursue them after they left Egypt. These people that he loves, he let their backs be up against the Red Sea. These people that he loves, he let them come to the very edge of destruction. And he delivered them through it all. He caused them to enter the sea and conquer their own fear, trusting God. He then proceeded to bring them into a desert after that deliverance. And there he developed them yet further and maximized their current state until they reached their full potential. See, there's a recipe that our God has that is clearly seen in the formation of the nation of Israel. Let's keep going with God's cultivation method in Hosea chapter 2, picking up in verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. Allure. Allure. Allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness, guys, that's a desert, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. Now, talk about maximizing manhood. God himself says that he will allure her. He will entice her. He will charm her. He will captivate her, invite her, and become irresistible too. Come on, husbands. Come on. Israel is going to be led by her Lord, captivated, cultivated in the desert. Amen. Not off in some resort-style faith or lifestyle, but in an actual desert where he speaks tenderly to her. It's there in the desert. In the wilderness, that he will give her back her vineyards. It is there that he will make the valley of trouble, uh, the valley of pain, difficulty, the very pathway to hope. Do you see where we're going with this? So that they can reach their full potential, the fullness of his desires and his dominions. And it says that Israel's response is going to be just like in the days of her youth when she came out of the wilderness. All right, somebody say, God... God has game. Has game. One more time. God, God has, game. has game. See, what you think of as enticing, alluring, enrapturing your wife's attention 
God describes in Hosea how he is not only going to allure her, but restore her and make her better than she was before. Think about that process, though. It both involves tender words and a desert, as Peyton said. Our God is using a multifaceted tool, and that tool is called cultivation. It's a recipe of sorts. Come on now. Can you imagine as a man asking for your first date with your your soon-to-be wife? Hey, baby. Come away with me. Oh, you know what I mean. Hey, come away with me. Let me allure you, entice you, enchant you. Let's go to the desert. Oh, yeah. It's going to be For really there, hot. There, I will speak tenderly to you. That is exactly what we just read. It's also exactly what we just read in Exodus. This is exactly the process that God himself uses to cultivate Israel and to cultivate us. Let's keep going in the passage. Hosea 2 and verse 16. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Are you catching the recipe here that we're following? It should be amazingly obvious even at this point in the sermon. First, Israel had to recognize and cause their life to revolve around Adonai as their master. Then, in that day, Adonai's intentional leading. It's going to be so grand that his lordship will be so obvious, so established as to no longer be contested. And once his lordship is no longer contested, it is then that the fullness of his cultivation in all of its extraordinary effect that Israel will then call him my husband, my cultivator. Come on, somebody say, cultivate me, baby. Cultivate Cultivate me, baby. baby. The cultivation... Yeah, Susie likes that one. The cultivation that the Lord will bring in the desert is going to remove the hindrances. It's going to remove idolatry. And it's going to lead to the recipe that maximizes Israel's relationship with him. Somebody say lordship. Lordship. When lordship is no longer contested, then real cultivation can begin. Saints, we're going to have to drum that one a few times. I saw some of you, a little light bulb went off when Pastor Wade said that. And then others, it flew over your head and you didn't hear it. Lordship can no longer be contested for real cultivation to begin. Verse 17 goes on to say, I will remove the names of the Baals from their lips. No longer will their names be invoked. See, no longer contested lordship. Every other name is being removed. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field, with the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle, I will abolish from the land so that they all may lay down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Saints, I want you to interact with this for a minute. We have a God who is redeeming his people exactly like the Exodus. He is alluring them into the desert, a place without water, a place without shade, a place with scorching heat that is uncomfortable. But that is also the place that he speaks tender words. That is the place that he is able to move around inside of the heart of Israel. He then banishes all other names and they refer to him as husband. The end result here in 17 through 20 
is a sevenfold harvest. That is the maximized leading of God, the maximized manhood, the maximized flock, the maximum work product of cultivation. Forever they are betrothed to him in righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and an unequivocal acknowledgement of his lordship that will never waver again. Let me ask you this morning, what kind of fruit do you want to see? We're learning what it is to emulate our God, and our God is on a cultivation path. His cultivation path, his course, it leads to a fullness of eternal bliss with his bride. But on that pathway is a desert and difficult situation along with tender words. So let us state it plainly this morning. The path to reach full potential, the full potential that God is bringing this body into, that God was establishing in Israel is the exact same door of hope or path that is a desert and tender words. Those two things in combination lead us to maximizing our manhood in the same way that Israel will be maximized. Do you love God's cultivation method? All right, brief story. Whenever I met Hannah, my beautiful wife, man, I was in college, I was young, I saw Hannah, and I wanted to pursue her. I was like a peacock, just... (laughs) You want to go on a date with me? And I didn't take her to the fanciest restaurant. I took her where I could afford, and we went to a Filipino restaurant, and we got lumpia. And much of our time was just promising her that her whole life was going to be so easy if she would just stay with me. But that's not what God does. He takes you through a desert that leads to a door of hope so that in the desert, you can go through the cultivation method, go through the cultivation process, and you can learn his character. But we're going to go to the writings now in Job 1, and we're going to look at Job's life before Pastor Peyton, perfectly peacocking Parsons. (laughs) I assure you, this man, this man is not proportional. Job chapter 1. I'm just going to read the text. I'm going to read what's right here. Lift we're us. Gonna, get us out of trouble. We're going to learn from Job. This is Job 1, picking up in verse 20. Stay with us, people. This sermon is Help a cultivation just process. It. Just <laughs> treat it like worship. Just steamroll it. At this... Job got up, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in utter despair. No, no, no. No, no, that was my life, not Job's. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord Be praised. This sounds like a man who's been cultivated. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Remember that Job was a man that God dearly loved and wanted to cultivate. He was even proud of him. He was proud of his servant Job and confided and trusted in him through the cultivation process that God allowed to happen to him. But I can say I hope that the 
same case for Job will be the same case for me. You need to know that prior to this verse, Job's oxen and his donkeys were taken by the Sabians. Job's sheep and servants were destroyed by the fire of God. Job's camels and servants were taken by the Chaldeans. And Job's seven sons and three daughters were killed by a great wind. So there's usually two or three ways of interpreting Job. Option one is God is a sadistic God. That's heresy. That's heresy. Option two is that it's Satan's fault. All of it. He led God astray. That's also heresy. Yeah. And then there's option three. That God has the right to bring a man's life anything he desires. That's actually true. Notice that the circumstances of destruction produced cultivation in a form of worship in Job's life. After everything that he lost, everything that he suffered, he didn't turn and mourn and sink into despair. The process of going through all those difficulties, God knew that it would produce worship from his servant. Isn't that beautiful? For now, we're going to jump to the end of the book of Job in Job 42. Are you guys catching the fact that the truth is, is that God can bring anything into a man's life that he desires, but that's only half the story. Him bringing it in is for a purpose. There's a cultivation. The entirety of the book of Job then talks about a cultivating process of what God then brought into him. By the time you get to Job chapter 42 and verse 10, you're seeing the product of cultivation. After Job had prayed for his friends, he's the one in difficulty and they need him desperately to pray for him, for them. The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Oh, come on. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. There he is hosting again. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Did the Lord bring trouble on Job? Yes. Okay. We're going to help cultivate you today. Did the Lord bring trouble on Job? Yes. It says it right there on the screen. Yes, he did. See, we even have trouble saying that he did because we're worried about it. There was only about a 25% response on the first time. God brought the trouble on Job because the word of God says that he did. See, Job's, remember that Job's oxen and donkeys were taken by the Sabaeans. His sheep and servants were destroyed by the fire. The camels and those servants were taken by the Chaldeans. His seven sons and three daughters were killed by a great wind. By the way, the part that we haven't mentioned yet is his own wife turned on him and encouraged him to curse God and die. And by the way, his friends were not much better than his wife. No, not at all. Let's pick it up in verse 12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. The first named, Jeminiah, the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hapuk. The first Karen in the Karen. whole world right there. <laughs> you got Aunt Jemima, you got Keziah, and you got a Karen. Something happened between Job's day and now with the name Karen. Not sure what it is. <laughs> Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. 
and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children, their children, to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. Saints, Job's life displays in wondrously vivid fashion the cultivation power of our God. Yahweh was not not simply sadistic. Yahweh was not simply swayed by Satan into doing something wrong. And he certainly was not bringing these things into Job's life just because he could or had the right to. God was bringing these things into Job's life so that he could reach his full potential or his maximized manhood. See, the difficulties applied to Job by Satan were merely elements. They were merely ingredients. They were included in the ultimate recipe for Job's maximization, and God was the master chef the whole time. Those ingredients were God allowed. Those ingredients were God ordained, and they were required for Job's growth. Meditate on that for a moment. We love that he was blessed. We love that he even had difficulty and he did not sin and then God restored him. What you need to wrestle with is that it's not Satan's fault, that it's not Job's fault, that it's not the fault of the circumstances around, that it was God's expressed desire to take Job from a man who was doing well and bring him into a double-fold blessing to maximize his manhood. And the only way to get there is chapter 2 through chapter 41 of hell on earth. One way to look at it is that Job was doubly blessed at the end of his life. Another way to think about it is that that was his full potential. From the beginning. So in the beginning, he was half the man that he needed to be until he went through the cultivation process and then expanded into the full potential. Come on, we like to say, oh, he was doubly blessed. Yes, he was. Or without cultivation, he would have been half the man that he ended up. Okay. So as... We move to the Newer Testament and we look at how Paul addressed all believers. You should be thinking about your life when you pray to your father and you say, I want to be a man. Consider what that means you must go through to reach your full potential. In 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, this will sound familiar. Listen to what Paul does. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you have become sorrowful as God intended. And so were not harmed in any way by us. Not harmed. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves No regret. Say no regret. No No regret. regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, and what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You remember Paul, the Lord of the churches, Lord over the churches, entrusted in ministering to the churches 
Once again, he is cultivating those body of believers at Corinth as a man representing God. He is bringing distress. He's bringing difficulty, but he's also bringing life-giving instruction. Notice that Paul struggled with the effects of real cultivation. Come on. Maybe a letter that might have hurt them in some way. And for a time, he regretted the effects or perhaps regretted having to put together the required recipe for maximization. But now, after he sees the fruit, he is rejoicing because he's seeing the progress towards their full potential, their maximized manhood, and he no longer regrets the things that he had to do. Come on, Come on. Come on that's a message Come for on, our families. I don't want to do this. Maybe it'll hurt them. Maybe it'll damage them. If you don't do it, you will never be able to see the full potential that they're capable of. Real cultivation always entails leading. Real cultivation always entails moving along into the process that God desires. Church, we want to let you know this. We want you to get this today. If you're going to lead and cultivate rightly, you're going to have to introduce difficulties intentionally into those that you are leading. Paul is intentionally saying, I do not regret what has happened. And you could see Paul wrestling with this. I saw that it caused you sorrow, but God intended for you to be sorrowful so that it would produce something righteous inside of you. You can't skip over the difficulty part because that is key. It is part and partial. It is the recipe that requires, that is required to get someone to the maximized full potential of what God has for them. It's by necessity that there are difficult circumstances and comforting words and empowerment by the person who is cultivating to the one being cultivated to be able to succeed in whatever circumstances that they find themselves in. Come on. There is going to be a continual revelation where I can feel it and I know that God is doing something. You're hearing our words and there are some heads that are shaking up and down. But there's still a revelation that's going to happen inside of each and every heart. You have to have difficulty. And you have to be the one, cultivator, to introduce the difficulty. Come you got to move them along. Let's go. Come on. Is anybody like me and you got to kind of move your family along in the morning to get to church? Yeah. Let yeah. Us, let's go. Get in the car now. No, I'm, all, I'm ready. I just have to get my shoes on and brush my teeth and then get this and then grab a cup of coffee and grab some water. I'm ready though. Oh, pastor, you're highlighting some of our earliest fights. <laughs> get in the car. I have to introduce tension. I have to introduce difficulty so that my family can move along. It's not just us getting in a vehicle. It's us getting where God desires for us to. In this passage to the Corinthians, you see that earnestness. What was the result of the sorrow? Earnestness. Come on. Eagerness, indignation, alarm, longing, concern, readiness to see justice done. Do you know what that means, church? That without the cultivation of Paul adding sorrow into them, they would not have been earnest or eager or ready to see justice done. They would have not had gotten to that point unless there was an intentional cultivation and leading by Paul so that they could reach their full potential. And Paul, we know, he is the epitome of a maximized man. 
And once he knew how to reflect the Father in lordship over the churches and the maximization of the churches, it showed because the cultivation of their hearts was brought to full potential. It was maximized in each of them. Saints, when you're considering earnestness, eagerness, indignation, alarm, longing, concern, readiness to see justice done, these are all indications that cultivation is just beginning in the human heart. If you haven't seen those, you have not even started the process. But Paul understood what it was to be Lord over the churches, so therefore he loved the churches. And he would do what was necessary to move them along to their maximized manhood. That's good, Pastor. After all, John 15, 2 says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Saints, this is what maximization is like. We will not settle for less than what God has called this room to produce. Are you looking for the minimum? Do you want a V6? Then stand with us as we keep doing this. I'm not asking you to physically stand right now. I'm asking you to rouse yourself. Don't let these words bounce off of you. Realize what God says your potential is. So far exceeds your own eyes. It's time that we look up with heaven's eyes and understand that Job was a blessed man, but there was so much more. We will not settle for less than what God will give us. This morning we picked up with you in Isaiah 40, where you could clearly see the dominion of God, his power, his ownership, his lordship in verse 10. Verse 11 gave us a glimpse into the amazing cultivating power of God. I'm going to reread verse 11 for you. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently, gently through a desert, leads them or moves them along that have young. Saints, he is a tender shepherd. He does lead or move along his sheep toward the maximized goal that he has for them. What you need to understand about the character of God, where we began this morning, is that he will not rest until his people have reached their destination and their full potential. He will not settle for less. The cultivating factors that produce this movement, they are little understood today. They are not understood in our times at all. The secret ingredients, the cultivating factors, all of these things were the difficulty of the days that he put Israel in. And they were going into captivity. They were being attacked when these words were written. The difficulty of the days combined with the out-and-out discipline of the Lord himself. And a tender hand. And comforting words. And strengthening them so that they could rise to greater heights in the midst of that difficulty. This is what real cultivation looks like. It is a recipe and it must have all to produce the maximum of. So are you catching a vision and a little bit deeper understanding of God's cultivation method? Because in this house, we are maximizing our manhood. In this church, we are rising to new heights. Come on. We are seeing the full potential of our lives and we're taking dominion, ownership, and lordship over the cultivation of our own lives and those entrusted to us. We're going to share just some practical examples from our lives, but I have one to consider for all the dads in the room. If your son happens to be learning some life skills, but you're embarrassed that he may fail 
And so you withhold that difficulty to be exposed and to look a little silly before his friends and before other people. That is not how we maximize our sons. We have to be secure enough to watch our sons step into a situation knowing they're not quite ready for it, but they need to feel this sting. They need to feel this embarrassment. And because you're his father and you know what needs to happen, when he fails, you don't feel like it's a slight against your character. You're like, yes, son. You need to take ownership of this. Let me show you how to do this next time. That's how we raise sons who are maximized. Let me just address the ladies in the room just for a second. Maybe you're like our household and you've had an engagement that looked like this. My wife to me, hey, hon, I think you're being too hard on our son. That's, that's too much. That's too much pressure. That's too much. No, that's exactly what he needs. The desire to have less Let's, let's take away from that which makes us uncomfortable, from that which adds to the tension. No, it is a necessary part of cultivation. Has anybody ever experienced that in your home like it has in mine? Yes. No, that's too much. You're spanking them too hard. It's too... Eh, eh. No, this is what is needed to cultivate our family rightly. This is the biblical model. We need to put more pressure oftentimes on our families. We need to be able to increase what is required of them so that they will grow into the cultivated, full potential, maximized version of themselves. Saints, we're 41 minutes in and we have a few surprises for you that we would desperately like to get to. But in an effort to make sure that we don't miss the point, I want to be really transparent. I had an awful experience over this last week and an amazing one at the same time. There's a good friend named Ed Boucher that sometimes is in our congregation. I wish he was here this morning to hear the recounting. But on uh, the day off, what you would refer to as a Sabbath in this church, I spent a good portion of my time with Mr. Ed. And as much as I wish that we were studying the word over a cup of coffee, we weren't. In fact, he was addressing a horrible issue that I had, one that I had ignored for far too long. You know those situations that we talked about in our last service that we think if we get to it later, it'll be easy to handle? Well, that was not the case with a tooth that I had on the right side of the front of my mouth. It uh, had been broken out many times as a child uh, for various reasons, some self-inflicted, others inflicted on to my mouth from other people. And at some point in time, I got a crown at an early age that fit a 13-year-old boy's mouth. See, the thing is, I'm not 13 anymore, and my jaw isn't exactly the same size. So that started to create some significant issues. And praise God we're in a team, because I probably would have ignored it for another six months. And some godly elders and pastors around me said, stop being so stupid. Go see him now. And uh, so I, I obeyed. And after an appointment that should have been 30 minutes, went on for three and a half hours utilizing lasers that... Uh, had to obliterate things that needed to no longer be living and growing behind the tooth, causing smoke to rise out of my mouth like a dragon. It wasn't pleasant like a vape. <laughs> Heat that resulted from the laser, the usage of needles frequently, repetitively over the course of the three and a half hours, scalpels, extraction devices. He removed the thing that was impeding my future growth. Look, we've been talking to you about inclusions. We've been talking to you about what it looks like to be a holistic man. Think about it on a very practical level. 
I had something that was done as a child that looked decent from the outside. None of you thought I was smoking crack. I wasn't missing a tooth. But on the inside, it was actually rotting away my own bone the longer that I ignored it. I did not enjoy the time with Ed all of that much. Afterwards, it was great. I got to hug him. I got to thank him. I knew he was doing something good for me the entire time. But anybody who spent a little time in the dentist knows how much concerted effort it takes to remember that it's good for you. See, what I actually needed was not just for Ed to give me good instruction, which he did. He gave me a plan and a process going forward. He even spoke some comforting words while he was using that laser. <laughs> but what if Ed and what if I had just settled for the comforting words in the next time future instructions and we had skipped the whole extraction device, the two hours of working on me with a laser, the scalpel that was unpleasant. See, I would be standing up here right now with decay literally in my bones while looking fine from the outside, and I would have left Ed's office feeling better about myself, like, I'm really growing. I know how to take care of my teeth better. All the while, never making any progress. You know, I've been on the other side of Pastor Judah's testimony where people didn't do anything. And then they ended up in the OR with a massive surgery with things that could have been prevented if they just would have went through the difficult process prior. As many of you know, uh, at the beginning of last year, I left the medical field to join FCR, Judah and Justin and Gabriel and Mandy, to do construction, to do contracting. Hallelujah. Quite the downgrade. And we're, we're just past a year of that. And to be honest, it feels like a millennia. <laughs> but that was a moment of faith where I asked the Lord, put me in a position where I have to trust you. And then he led me to something new. Hey, go join FCR. Leave all this behind. And honestly, I was excited. Like, this is a new venture. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to work with my brothers to have more time to pour into the body. It's going to be amazing. And it wasn't. <laughs> I am horrible at paint. I am horrible at construction. And I didn't know beforehand. I was so excited about the idea of being put in this situation. But remember what I prayed before that. Lord I want to trust you. And over the course of a year. I've gotten better. I've gotten more competent. I've been yep. able to grow in project management. And sales. And a bunch of other leadership attributes. But the process was not really fun. You know how hard it is to be 30 years old. Step into a new career. And you're just trying to pick up a gallon of paint. And someone asks you one question. And you're like, I just don't know. I have no idea. I'm going to have to ask. And then you ask, you get an answer, you come back, and you're, you're like, okay, this is what we need to do. And they're like, okay, can we do this? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Uh, well, this was, this was a daily occurrence in me. And as I look back over what I asked the Lord to take me through, and how much I actually resented the process. There were days I would get in the truck and I would just say, Lord, this, this is not fun. <laughs> Getting smiles from the front row here. I don't want to do this anymore. I understood the concept of what I was asking him. But I did not understand the implications of what it would require for me to be put in that position. I asked the Lord to show me how I could trust him because I thought I already did. 
And he put me in a situation to say, you thought you did, but you don't. And I'm going to have to take you through a desert so that you can see your lack of trust. And what this year has produced in me, it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, whether it's pastoring, whether it's in leadership, whether it's in contracting, whether it's in medicine, raising children, you name it. I've been trained to trust my God to give me the revelation that I need. But I never would have understood how faithless I was unless I was put in a situation where I felt foolish and inadequate. And I had to turn Come from on. my own strength and begin to trust his. Come on. Can anybody relate to what your pastors are talking to you today about? Whether it's the immediacy of a physical problem that's showing a, a, a negligence that has been there. If it's a year-long process of having to go through the cultivation and development of not having all the answers. Yeah. Of having the stress of having to learn things. God is a master cultivator. Yeah. He is so good at this, he is going to get exactly out of us what he wants. We have a slide for you that gives you a law prophet writings of exactly what this process looks like. In Deuteronomy 11, if you faithfully obey, if you yield to his lordship, the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will send the rain. Then I will help to cultivate you on the land, the autumn and the spring rain, so that you can gather in what? Your grain, your new wine, your oil. Those three things should be a summary of the seven produces that Israel produces. I'll provide grass in the field for your cattle. Yeah. And you will eat and be satisfied. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I'm going to be satisfied. Zechariah 8 says the seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will in fact produce its crops because he knows how to cultivate. The heavens, they're going to drop their dew. I'll give all these things as an inheritance. You know who gives the inheritance? It's the Lord over the manor. It is the Lordship that he is displaying here. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, just as you've had difficulties in the desert, I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Yeah. Don't be afraid, but let your hands be strong. In Psalm 104, he waters the mountains from the upper chambers. Listen to this. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate. Bringing forth food from the earth. Come on. Even wine that gladdens men's heart. Come on now. Woo! Need some wine to make yeah. you happy? Oil to make your faces shine and bread that sustains the heart. Our God is a master cultivator, always getting full potential, always maximizing that which he owns and cultivates. Saints, in every good team, there are brothers that see different aspects. These men help balance out, if you will, or strengthen me in areas that I'm weak. Is it all right if in our token agricultural slide that's on the screen for you right now, yeah. I highlight some things that you didn't hear just a moment ago? So to begin with in Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 15, consider this. He commands them, with your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your service. There's obedience to the Lord that is required. Adonai designed a recipe in Deuteronomy 11. The recipe included stimuli for maximizing a man. This stimuli, this situation, this recipe included. There is no rain if you don't reach out to me with your heart and with your soul. See, we love the effects of it, but we forget he put them in a land that does not rain unless growth is being produced from them. 
See, his cultivation is not just tilling the soil. His cultivation is creating the atmosphere. His cultivation is creating the land. It is the environment and the situation, both with the rain, the new wine, the things that make men glad, and the lack thereof if their hearts don't respond. See, we look at one aspect of this as cultivation. Man, he's raining on them. He's raining on them. Hey, I'm going to learn to rain in this area and cause life to come out. You also have to be aware that God's cultivation process for you includes, is required to have, putting you in a land where there is no rain until you learn to cry out. Because that's how he stimulates you. That's how he causes you to rise. That's how he causes you to maximize your manhood. If he rained on you without the stimuli of the drought, man, you would never grow. In Zechariah, notice they were cursed, but the Lord saved them. You could say they were cultivated. And then they were called to be courageous, to be strong. The inheritance of God was given to Israel. The promises of God are extended to you. But you are going to need his strength to take hold of it. You can't do it without him. So if he causes you to go through a desert where you are cursed. And that brings about a cultivation. That brings about a potential. But then you give up in rising up to be strong. To have courage. To have faith in him. Then you squander the whole process. He will allure you and bring you through that desert. And then he will say, one more time, trust me and be strong this time. Cultivation doesn't mean that you endure difficulty for a time. And then when the season's over, you are given a badge and then claim to be a saint. Claim to be a son of God. No, this is a lifelong process. The cultivation was so that when you do take hold of the strength, you know what to do with it. Church, we need both sides of this issue. We need to, to see the Lord as the one who sends the rain, but you got to understand that there are also conditions there that he puts on your life. You can look at Psalm 104, and you can realize, I can realize how many times that I have not been satisfied with the work of God in my life. Anybody like me? Yeah. With the lack of what I have been allowing him to cultivate inside of me. I see these things like Deuteronomy 28 that says that when you're not being obedient, he withholds the rain. He withholds the produce. He withholds his goodness to you so that you will notice it and cry out to him. Haggai says the same thing about building of the temple. This satisfaction. Do you know what happens is an underlying dissatisfaction with my own uh, ability to follow his cultivation. I walk around at times this week and go... Lord, I am, I am afraid that what is going on is not going to last, that I'm not going to be able to do this. So you know what I do? I become fearful, and my first thought is to not begin to cultivate my own wife or those entrusted to me. I'm looking at something, and I'm feeling the tension. I'm feeling the problem, and I'm going, I don't, I just, I'm afraid that this is not going to work out. Instead of crying out to God and saying, I need this difficulty. I need these circumstances in this environment to help me to step forward. God has never failed to cultivate me rightly. Every circumstance that's going on, everything that is uh, observed is something that caused us to grow and we must then in turn cultivate those who are with us, entrusted to us in the exact same fashion. It has to be that we have both sides of the coin and that impossible situations are absolutely necessary. That a holy mixture here has to stem from God's lordship in us as a reflection of him. 
You need to know that he will make things grow, that he will help you. And you can also need to know that you need him to cause that to happen in your life. That has to be both and seen in your life. Saints, our God is a God that understands cask strength cultivation. Yeah. He's not interested in a diluted form. Saints, a few times I've asked you, do you want a V6 or do you want a V8? The reality of this situation is that there is no such thing as a V6. It's a V5, a V7, or a V8. It doesn't work. It's out of balance. No matter how much raw power you have, if you do not have both sides of the coin, you're going nowhere, and your engine will eventually melt down despite your best attempts to move down God's pathway. What he's speaking to us today is about maximization. It is also about the areas that have hindered you, that have caused you to be unable to cultivate the full potential. It doesn't matter how spiritually gifted, how much raw power you have, if you don't utilize the full mixture, if we don't have an inline eight working in its perfect proportions, then we do not reach the maximum. But if we will acknowledge the maximum, if we will cultivate the soil of our own hearts, I promise you, you will learn to do it in everyone else. See, Peter was an amazing man. Peter was an apostle that had his fair share of cultivation in every form of the formula. Peter instructs us out of his own cultivation process, and it's some of the most stirring words to a man who knows what real cultivation is like. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Did you guys have a discipleship helps on Friday night? As though something strange were happening to you. Saints, at this place in the message, we hope, we believe in faith that you're getting an idea of God's cultivation tools. There is nothing strange about a Lord taking ownership and cultivating his people. There's nothing strange about a husband putting his family in a position of difficulty to cultivate them for the greater work that is ahead. The only thing, the one thing, the thing that should surprise every one of us as strange is when we react as if something strange is happening to us in fiery cultivating moments. See, we can no longer flounder in this life. We can no longer despair in this life. Our faith must rise to the maximum and must rise to meet what God is building us into so that we can be a glory bearer. This form of cultivation is something that we must grow in. We are done minimizing manhood. We are done minimizing our manhood by avoiding what is difficult, by being apathetic about what is wrong, and by making excuses for our own inadequacy. Those things are what is strange to the man of God. What this house is not is those things. You are a house of men who are going to the maximum. We're going to do it now, starting with ourselves, by turning the word of God to us and saying, I will not shirk one area of this cultivation because you are my Lord and my teacher. You are my God, and I trust that you have the best interest in mind for me. I will reflect you, mighty one. Saints, as we go to verse 13, 
we will continue to build on these fiery trials, and we will make 13th Warriors out of you. Okay, we are 59 minutes in. Church, stay with us. I really hope that the silence why Pastor Judah is ministering to your soul is because you're thinking deeply about these things. I really hope that's the case because verse 13 shows us what the right response is and what we must do during fiery ordeals. Verse 13 says, but rejoice, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Are you beginning to get the idea of what God means by full potential to begin to rejoice? Wives, turn to your husband and say, cultivate me, baby. Now, men, I want you to turn to your heavenly father and say, maximize me, father. Maximize me, father. Church, rejoice in every moment, every single moment that you get to suffer in Christ. This is what cask strength cultivation is, rejoicing in the desert season that is cultivating your heart. This is our maximization as men who are loving husbands. Come on. Who are tender fathers and who are also lion killers. Come on, look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Come on. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you see the end result of this process, church? You are an actual glory bearer. His glory is resting upon yes. you. Yes. Cultivation always keeps the end result, the full potential, the maximization in mind. To maximize our manhood, we've got to remember that lordship and ownership extends into cultivation. Whether we're the ones under authority or the ones appointed to be in authority by Adonai. In either place, when you know by whom and from whom your dominion flows, you will never be a difficult person. A victim in difficulty. No. And you are never averse to actually applying the right kind of pressure. The right kind of difficulty within those that you are trying to move them along into the right place. You're going to see each moment as an opportunity to cultivate the kingdom yes. in your heart. In your wife's heart. In your children's hearts. Yeah. And anyone that the Lord of the life of your life orders you to minister to. Come on now church. We got to get this and we're getting it today. Men, that same process that the Lord does in you, you then must turn and do that exact same process with your wife. Never being afraid to add pressure, to add expectation, to add difficulty, because that is the process of cultivation. Men who maximize their manhood this way will always be, they'll always produce loving husbands, tender fathers, and lion killers. And they operate in the holy masculinity in the most impossible of situations and at all times. Perhaps this is why Peter begins in his letter in 1 Peter 1 by saying that you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He goes on to speak about the proven genuineness, about the work product, the result of faith that is engaging in this kind of cultivation as it is of greater worth than gold. Saints, this is how men like the Apostle Paul could say that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory. The apostles understood what this process looked like, that God would not rest until he had perfected, had maximized the things that were under his lordship, the things that he dearly loved. Saints, 
We're at a place where I think it's best that we reflect on Deuteronomy 8. We have been in and all around Deuteronomy 8 in previous weeks, but you've been learning something about the maximum that a man can be, yep. about the full potential that God is calling out of us. You've also been learning something about the recipe that is required. Deuteronomy 8 is going to help us. We're going to pick up in verse 1 together. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Do you see that he is still driving them along, moving them along in a direction because they are his people? That he's speaking about their maximization, their full potential, that they would live, they would increase, that they would have the land, that they would have the promises that were all given before, but now fully realized. Goes on and says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Church, are you seeing that in Deuteronomy 8, you are getting an exact picture of what godly cultivation looks like and what it's supposed to look like within your life, your home, in your disciples, at workplace. This is what cultivation is, and this is what we must be moving towards. Church, let me just put it plainly to you. God is satisfied with nothing less than abundant life, an increase in the total fulfillment of the promised land. Are you satisfied with less than the fulfillment of what God is doing? God is comfortable with humbling and testing the hearts of what he cultivates. Are you? God is comfortable with causing hunger. He is comfortable with causing desperation to rise within what he cultivates. Are you? God is comfortable disciplining with all sternness that which he cultivates. Are you? God is comfortable working supernaturally in their bodies where their, their feet didn't swell, their provision where their clothes didn't get worn to ensure that they do succeed with his help in the growth process. Are you comfortable, church, demonstrating this same kind of supernatural cultivation? What does an honest assessment of your life actually say? Pause on that for a moment. You can hear this again and again and it not settle in. Pastor Wade just talked to you about the supernatural provision that God gave to make sure they succeed. Some of you, some of you are capable, you're comfortable with humbling. Some of you are comfortable with providing for. But honestly wrestle with, are you holistically comfortable with the way that God cultivates? It's the idea of what has been entrusted to you, i.e. your wife your children, your workplace, that your regular job includes you putting them in a desperate situation, humbling and testing them. I know that it doesn't. I'm looking at many of you and you have never done that. You've been scared to death to cause trouble with your wife your whole life. 
You've been scared to death to take any dominion at work, which is why you do not understand cultivation at work. Others of you are prone to a temper. You're prone to lash out. You want to control things. We have no idea what it looks like to supernaturally provide and ensure that which you're cultivating succeeds in the difficulty. It's more along the lines of that's your problem. I've highlighted it. Now go pray and fix it. We want you to understand what it looks like to be a man to the maximum as God is trying to maximize your manhood. Are you the one who just wants to lead and hold close the tender lambs of your family, of your work, of your brothers, but you just are unwilling to put them in the hell on earth situation that Isaiah describes? Are you the one that wants to rain down fire but you're not willing to lay your own life down to make sure they succeed in that fire? See, we've got to grow up in this house. We think we know more about cultivation than we actually do, and it starts with us as men. If we can respond to God's lordship and understand the cultivation he is driving in, I promise you the three of us are fighting for it. I am fighting to see the world rightly and not tolerate despair. If I can learn to do that correctly, I'll be able to help my wife with it. But you know what my wife has no hope of doing? Learning to be cultivated to the maximum if I don't let God do it in my life. We have to recognize that he has a recipe. He has a multifaceted tool belt, and we have been using one or two instead of the V8. And it is time to recognize it, starting with us. The buck stops at us, men. When we do that rightly, our wives will reflect it. So we have to be comfortable being as stern and as kind as God is. Where I fail in this in my own home is when I am so consumed with my own cultivation. And because I'm reflecting on my own cultivation, it's always respective to how I treat my wife. And this cannot be. Because I will take responsibilities from my wife because I feel like it's just not going to get done or it's going to be difficult or I don't want to put them in a situation where they're in danger or it's hard or this hypothetical situation can happen. So I just shut it down and I say, I'll do it. I'll do it. You guys trust me. And part of the cultivation is you need to trust me more and do less. We have to be comfortable putting our wives, putting our children in a position where they can be cultivated where they can be pressed, where they can feel a lot of the pressures that a father feels and grow from it just like we are. But where I fail is when I'm focused on my own cultivation. Let me just be really practical. I can be so focused on my own cultivation that what I will do is be overwhelmed and stressed and I just need to trust the Lord and get through this difficult day because I had a hard day at work or I'm really wrestling with this passage in scripture. So what I will do is I will go sit on the couch and think. And I'll say, Hannah, because I'm your Lord, can you get the kids ready? Can you make dinner? Can you do these things? And I need you to just go do that. Well, that's not really cultivating her heart. That's just giving her tasks to do so I don't have to do my job of cultivating her heart. When you're comfortable cultivating her, you will bring her into your struggle and also be able to direct her afterwards. This is being her Lord.
but you also have to be the cultivator when she's not responding joyfully, or maybe she's had just as crazy of a day as you had, and you sit down and you say, let me pray with you. Then you're her cultivator. But these do not operate separate from each other. Come on. If you are simply a Lord, or you are simply a cultivator, then you are a simpleton. A maximized man is both Lord and cultivator of his household, of his wife, of his children, and they cannot be separated. And as we grow in what this looks like as a maximized man, then every single moment is an opportunity to take lordship and to cultivate the things in the kingdom. Let, I'm just going to drive this down. Do you ask yourself if you read the word more than your wife? And how much of what you are studying in the word is actually transferred to her? Or if it's when you find something good, because I do this, I find something good because I'm focused on my own cultivation, and I see that it's good enough to share with my wife. And what she gets is the revelation, but none of the struggle and travail through the word that I should be doing with her. This is an area that I have to grow in, and I'm going to, because the word is bringing it out in a season where I thought I was doing these things good, but when you ask the Lord to teach you, he'll take you through a desert and he will let you see all your flaws, all your difficulties, and then cause you to grow from it. So both ends of this spectrum are needed, man. You have to be a man who is not afraid to ask your wife, to direct your wife for more, to give instruction, to make that demand of her that she might step up. And then you must also cultivate that and respond so that it is grown inside of her and that that replicates inside of your children and your disciples as well. Look, church, Ephesians 4 is such a clear picture of what this is. It gives us the five-fold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, because they are developing what is going on on the inside of the body as a whole, pushing, pulling, demanding, and then encouraging, carrying you close, and also putting you in the desert so that you are able to reach what verse 13 in the ESV says, to reach mature manhood. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Church, this is a day where we stop being minimized as a male and we get real about what God is doing. That we actually cause ourselves to rise up in the exact lordship and the cultivation that he has to be the exact type of shepherd. Because if we don't do this, men, then there is zero, nada, nil, nothing, no way that our family is going to get to do this. But you are the kind of man who are becoming mature. You are fulfilling the manhood that is in your life, and God will actually cause you to continue to bear his image in every single way. Do you want to maximize your manhood? Yes. Last Sunday, you were introduced to John 13, which you've heard referenced, you've heard quoted. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, you believed that you understood it. You're like, ah, he, he reversed the order. Can you understand the ways in which you're beginning to understand it now? To be a teacher, you have to be an extension of God's lordship. To be able to cultivate rightly, you have to be comfortable with everything that it takes to forge something to the maximum. There is not a zil, no chance of reaching the maximum or the full potential 
using less than half of God's cultivation tools. We're going to throw a slide on the screen that is our five remaining steps, or five steps in order. Dominion. He is Lord. Every area of life, every area of your life, just like Job, just like Israel, just like Hosea or Haggai and so many other examples, we have to learn to reflect his lordship. If you reflect his lordship well, you are then able to apply every area of cultivation. On a very personal level, we have been considering together the way in which we have been so unwilling to be cultivated most of the time. I think it was Brother Treister earlier, the younger, that said uh, he is better at leading us than we are at following earlier. Husbands, wives, when you're thinking about your responsibilities, the children that are under you, and the disciples that God has called you to be able to produce, what you're repping in your home now is preparation for being able to make disciples. You need to know that Israel was very rarely willing to be cultivated at any point in time. The entire desert time frame was filled with a loving, gracious God who had mercy again and again through discipline, difficulty, and supernatural encouragement. How many times did they grumble? How many times did they wail? How few actually made it to the maximum destination? In fact, that's been the case through Isaiah, through the time of Haggai, all the way up to this present day. And it has been true of you from the day that you came out of your mother's womb. You have to understand how to be a Lord to cultivate because often what you're cultivating will not appreciate or like the process. You remember John 13? You do not understand what I do for you? Saints, we need to get past the point where we want to do what is reciprocated. Love flows downhill. We've been teaching about shalom for the better part of a couple decades at this point. But we need to learn what it is to actually embody it. His lordship causes you to pour out love, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, reciprocated. You do what it takes to maximize what has been given because God has maximized your manhood. As you're looking at that slide and considering that Pastor Wade shared with you out of Ephesians 4, which is about the fivefold ministry, who is supposed to equip the body for their works of service as we all build one another up. There's been a scarlet cord running through the messages in this church. God is teaching us how to reflect him better, to build up our houses, to build up our brothers. And it all stems from understanding his authority and his cultivation methods. There are a few revelations that we would like to encourage you with, that we would like to end with you on. If you take sober stock of the areas that you have failed to cultivate properly because you didn't like it in your own life and because you weren't comfortable stomaching it for those that were entrusted to you, that would allow us to end strengthening one another in the hope of what God will do with that sober recognition. See, we kind of have a choice right now at an hour and 18 minutes. Do I have to beat you into recognizing where you haven't cultivated? Or is this body of believers wanting to be men to the maximum so bad that you'll search it out yourself? I think Pastor Wade and I have the faith that you'll do it yourself. So we want to show you what God will do in your life, just like Job. 
You can take a look at this slide just as a reminder of what God did in Job's life through the cultivation process. You have Jemima, whose name means day by day. Kazia, like cassia or fire. Karen Hapuk, which is a beautifier. In the first set of 10 children that Job had, the seven sons and three daughters, there was none that was named. At the end of the story, there's still seven, there's another seven sons and three daughters, and the sons aren't named. And it's intention in communicating a message of God's cultivation process. When we in our own lives, in our own families, embrace the dominion, the ownership, and the lordship of the Almighty, it makes way for real, meaningful maximization that is not always pleasant, but it will always produce the most beautiful thing that the land has ever seen. That that cultivation in a day-by-day kind of way will bring about a fire within you. It will beautify everything about your life in a way that is maximized, that there is none other that can compare to this. Husbands, we know you want to be maximized. We know that you don't want to have a wife that's ugly or of little account, but you want them to be radiant in the land. And we want to let you know that the choice is yours. He puts these matters into your hands, man. He puts it into our hands. There's no need to have Osteen-like feel-good extends that you want. It won't do a damn thing for your manhood. But embracing this beautiful, day-by-day, difficult subject for you and your household will maximize everything about your life, your family, and your future in the land. Day-by-day, fire and beautify. This produced the most beautiful children in all of the land. Saints, we want a thousand generations. We want to see that map conquered. We want to see your families raise generations of ministers. All of this begins with your determination, your choice to day by day embrace the fire that is God's cultivation because it is what will produce something beautiful. Our concluding passage this morning is the ultimate. It is the maximization of all lordship and cultivation. It's Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Saints, this is God's revelation of the ultimate union of lordship and cultivation at work. It is not enough for him, for Yahweh, to lead this way. It's not enough for us to agree that we should lead this way. We must maximize our own manhood and actually lead like him. There is no regret for the man who has been maximized through this process. You need to set as a conviction in you, there will be no regret when you maximize what has been given to you through this process. When you take dominion, when you take lordship as an extension of God and you replicate this exact process, you are equipped to bring Pleasant, unpleasant, all circumstances in to maximize the things that have been given to you. There will no longer be any regret when we walk this way. Do you notice that he wipes away every tear from their eyes? Is anybody comforted by that? Have you ever considered the fact 
that this is a bit of a fulfillment of what Isaiah said he would do. He's the lamb at the center of the throne and he's shepherding them. He's leading them. Why would he have to wipe away their tears? It's because the journey that he brought them on to reach this point included his leading, included the horrifying distress, the inadequacy, the desperate need for his empowerment to reach it. He didn't bring them on a tearless journey. He brought them on a journey that brought them to the center of the throne, the maximization of every man, woman, and child into what they were always called to be in communion with him. We don't get there without embracing the tears of the process. Our God is the one who brings them about so that he can wipe them away when he has made you new. Husbands, we got to learn to reflect him in this. Church, there are three things that this passage on the screen says, and it prophetically speaks to us this morning about Christ, about what Christ will do and what you must do. We'd like for every man to stand up right now. Every man standing up in the maximized manhood, and you're going to declare all three of these things in the presence of your God and the presence of your family with us. Take a look at this side. Come on, man. Say number one with me. We will, will. be their shepherd. Number two, we will lead them to living waters. Number three, we will wipe away every single tear. This is what maximized manhood looks like. It is what the shepherd that is sitting at the center of the throne, the very lamb of God himself does for us and is what we will do for our families. Now for the wives in the room, stand up next to your husbands right now. We're going to say it, but we're going to say it this way. I want you to repeat after me. Say, we will reflect our husbands as they shepherd us. We will reflect our husbands as they lead us to living waters. We will reflect our husbands as they wipe away every tear. Now, singles and everyone else that is remaining in the room, stand with us as well. We're going to make a declaration through prayer as Pastor Judah prays with us. We're going to eliminate, we're going to obliterate any obstacles between us and those who belong to us to be cultivated so that each and every man, woman, and child in this room will reach their full potential, their maximized manhood of what God has for us. So as we pray, which is not praying over a meal, we're going to pray and reflect what God has already said. Whether what has been entrusted to you is willing or unwilling. Every man, every woman, every child, young and old in the room. We're going to reflect our Father as you pray with me. Saying we will do what you have called us to do. Listen to me. All doubt needs to die here today. We will. We will do this in every single area because his word says it it is who he is and he is making us like him he will start by maximizing you and he will teach you to do it for them pray with the authority of christ with me father we say that we will shepherd them like you do Lord, we say that we will lead them like you do father we say we will wipe away every tear because we will go through the process to reach that new life you are bringing us into. We declare we will follow you, mighty one. 
We want to be like you. Make us into the maximum man you have called us to, Holy One.